0: We're going to be talking about the Spire Pipeline Controversy on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri, joining us from The Renew Missouri Studios, or from your undisclosed location? Philip, where are you at today? At the Renew Missouri Studios. Oh, great. In (laughs) Palatial. The Palatial Renew Missouri Studios in Northern (laughs) Columbia. Philip Fresica on the boards, as always. Hey, Philip. Hey, happy to be here, and I'm glad it's finally starting to feel like winter. For the next day or two anyway, (laughs) we'll see. I don't think Renew Missouri is working fast enough to fix this problem, but that's another another podcast. Folks, we got a really exciting guest today. Um, If you're in the St. Louis area or if you follow any kind of statewide news, you've certainly heard about the Spire pipeline issue that kind of involves rather complicated uh, federal regulatory issues. Um, And there's been a lot of misinformation out there about that. So we wanted to make sure that everyone got kind of a a kind of an objective perspective on that. I mean, maybe not objective because we have one of the one of the one of the people here who are working on that case. Uh, Natalie Karras from the Environmental Defense Fund. You are the um, you are counsel there as well as I think regional director, lead uh, projects director. Is that did I get that right, Natalie?
1: Yeah. Senior director and lead counsel
0: senior director and lead counsel. I was totally wrong. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Hello. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Thank um,
1: you for coming
0: me. Yeah, great. Um, so I, a little bit, tell us a little bit about um, EDF before we get moving into this topic at hand.
1: Sure. So EDF is a, a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to preserve the natural systems on which all life depends. Um, Our work is guided by science, economics, law, and we also engage in a lot of innovative partnerships. Uh And so we're we're working to create transformative solutions to the most pressing environmental
0: problems. Yeah, New York environmentalists in other words, right? (laughs)
1: Well, on that point, I'd like to clarify that ECA yeah, okay. has members um, all over and including in, in Missouri. And, and the reason that we're involved in this case is, is that we have people that are impacted by this, this pipeline
0: in, in Missouri. I, I make a I make a reference to an email uh, that uh, Spire Gas, uh, one of our large utilities in Missouri, sent out to its customers, which we'll be talking about in a minute. So consider that a little... Uh, a little uh, advanced treat of, of our conversation, and and you, how long have you? Let like, just ask, uh, how long have you been at EDF, uh, Natalie? I've been at EDF for five years. Five years, and you are you in DC still? Is that where you are?
1: Yes, I'm based in in Washington D.C.
0: But you do have a little bit of history with St. Louis, yes?
1: I do. Yes, I'm very fond of St. Louis. I went to college at WashU. You know, okay, I'm there.
0: Yeah, great school. That's a great school. Um, so yeah, so okay, so that's a little bit about your group and you, um, you, you, I guess it seems like you get involved with regulatory matters at the federal level, at the federal regulatory level, that's right?
1: Yeah, so our, our group focuses, I would say, on three different streams of work. We practice before FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. We also do work before the Pipeline Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, and then we also engage before state commissions across the country.
0: Right. Which is, which is kind of like when we talk on Renew Gurus, we talk a lot about the Missouri Public Service Commission, which is where we intervene. We are involved with a lot of cases, always, you know, often involving renewable energy or energy efficiency issues, which involves us with gas cases as well. But FERC... FERC also, I mean, like kind of like if you were have to describe to some someone who doesn't know anything about energy, what what is it that FERC does? And in particular, what is it that they do, like, say, with a with a gas company? How do they regulate them?
1: Sure. So, you know, FERC under under two. Well, let me start with the the Natural Gas Act. So under the Natural Gas Act, FERC approves major new gas pipelines and infrastructure in our country under that act and has a framework that it has to follow when when making that determination.
0: And does it have to be, and I mean, I'm trying to ask dumb questions, not because I wanna know, but uh, I do actually. <laughs> but the pipeline, does it have to go across multiple states for FERC to have jurisdiction or is it all pipelines?
1: Yeah, so FERC has jurisdiction over interstate pipelines. So those pipelines that cross the state line. So, you know, we're talking about the Spire STL pipeline today, which, um, You know, process from Missouri to Illinois.
0: Okay. So just those two states, uh, even though they're kind of, you know, a lot of people consider Missouri and Illinois to be the St. Louis region because they are two states that that would require the federal government FERC to okay a project like that. Um, Now, do they have to okay it before it's built? Do they have to okay it before it's put in use? I mean, kind of explain where FERC gets involved with that typically.
1: Yeah. So the the process is that the the pipeline developer submits an application to FERC, and then FERC engages in a, a process to review that that application. The pipeline cannot begin construction until it receives approval from FERC.
0: Okay. So right, and so that's so it's kind of like they have to prove, like anyone wanting to do a pipeline that has to prove certain things to ensure that it. I mean, it, what, what? I mean, what, I guess I I'm not asking this question very well. What is FERC looking for with these applications typically about whether to approve them or not? Yeah, so so
1: FERC analyzes these applications under a, a framework that's been in place since 1999. And I'll, I'll boil that framework down. Really, the, the threshold question is, is there a market need for the project? Mm-hmm. And if FERC can answer yes to that question, then it has to engage in a, a balancing assessment. And the balancing is, what are the public benefits of the project? And what are the adverse effects? And so adverse effects can be effects on neighboring pipelines. It could be effects on landowners and communities within the vicinity of the pipeline. It could be effects on the environment. And all of that has to be wrapped up in that balancing test. And if all of those questions, if that market need question can be answered in the affirmative, if the balancing assessment shows that there's more public benefits than adverse effects, then then FERC can approve the project.
0: So they look at the need, they balance the interests, and they make a decision, I mean, in short. That's a good way to summarize it, yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm picking up on this. So, okay, we've been dancing around this. Let's let's talk a little bit about the specific issue here. Okay, so everybody who listens to this podcast, all, all 10 of them, most of them probably being utility executives trying to figure out what I'm up to uh spire is a is a company uh it's a national company but there is a large presence it has in uh missouri uh it is the largest gas company in missouri it services areas like st louis areas like kansas city plus places in between um it's large um it used to be LaClee gas uh, in st louis it used to be missouri gas energy in kansas city now it's all under spire which i think has um, utilities in other parts of the country, such as the South. I, I know that when I was public counsel, I had to deal with this a lot more than I do now. And back then, we, we, there was a lot of issues about um, them acquiring um, gas companies in Alabama and Mississippi and places like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they, they, they are routinely in front of the Public Service Commission. We just got done with a uh, large rate case with Spire, where Renew Missouri was an intervener, we uh, some of our uh, some of our housing advocates were interveners, and we were primarily talking about energy efficiency. That was what we do with gas companies. So they have this state regulatory process here, as a lot of you all familiar with. But they also uh, they also do a lot of work at the federal level, and they were trying to get permission. Now is was it to build or to use this pipeline, this kind of St. Louis regional pipeline? Uh, that we're talking about today, Natalie, what, what, let's talk a little bit about the controversy and kind of the underlying facts of that.
1: Sure. So, so it was request to, to both construct and then operate the the pipeline.
0: Okay. Uh, And so, and how big of a pipeline is this?
1: So it's a a 65 mile pipeline. Um, And, and, and so um, you know, it's, the, the cost of it is, is roughly $300 million. So it gives you a sense of, of the cost and size. That's a lot of money
0: <laughs> for 65 miles, um, but it would obviously go into kind of a, a larger network of pipelines uh, where we're moving around natural gas. It's supposed to be going to different, um, you know, different utilities for their use. Now, I mean, this is not the only pipeline Spire has any kind of interest in, right?
1: So there are several other pipelines that serve the the St. Louis region. There's there's five major interstate pipelines that um, Spire Missouri had relied on previously to serve its customers.
0: So why does Spire say they need this pipeline? What was their argument for this?
1: So so going back to that framework I was telling you about, so that market need question is often... um, usually pipeline developers offer up what are called precedent agreements. And those are contracts for transportation service to move gas from point A to point B. And usually pipeline developers will say, here's the contract I entered into with this customer, that shows that there is a need for this, this pipeline. And that market need question can be answered because FERC can rely on those competitive market forces and arm's length bargaining for those those two unrelated entities to enter into those types of contracts. In the case of the, the Spire pipeline, you have two companies within the same corporate family entering into that contract essentially with itself. And so the pipeline developer earns a return in excess of risk and customers of Spire Missouri are asked to pay for it. And so as that was presented as the, the threshold question for market need that that raised concerns in our mind and it was against the backdrop of a lot of other facts that you know we thought were red flags so there's flat demand for gas in the St Louis region why mm-hmm. Missouri had rejected other projects by unaffiliated entities in the past saying that they didn't make economic or operational sense you know there were existing capa- uh, pipelines in the region with, with capacity, and there were a lot of people who protested the the application. The Missouri Commission protested it. Other neighboring pipeline, another neighboring pipeline protested it, mm-hmm. um, and and so all of those you know facts together really you know raised raised red flags and and really created the imperative for FERC to apply heightened scrutiny to this case.
0: Yeah, and I. I'm trying to figure out how to dive into this topic because it is something that's a big deal to people who work with utility regulation at the state and federal level, because I think a lot of the public doesn't understand that there's a lot of like utilities oftentimes will spin out <laughs> and create affiliates. Uh, that, I mean, what my observation is, is, it's largely with, if you're talking about electricity, you're talking about transmission. There's a lot of transmission. Yeah uh, wires that are out there that are owned by the utility and kind of a separate entity. Um, I mean, that's not uncommon, but it is, but it can raise questions about whether or not, I think as you were talking about the market forces, is this indeed a pure contract? Is this indeed consideration? Is this indeed not, um, not being done just to benefit the utility? I mean, that's, that's the question, right?
1: Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right that the idea of affiliates is, is nothing new. And in fact, FERC, in a host of other contexts, like in the electric context you're talking about, has rules in place to protect and guide those affiliate transactions to, to ensure customers are protected. Mm-hmm. In this particular context, involving a pipeline developer and a retail gas utility, there are no rules in place to protect at the federal level those those customers, which is why we were saying, FERC, you care about this in all these other contexts, you know, the same issues that are present there are present here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we were asking FERC to, to you know, borrow from those, those other contexts and, you know, really view this through the lens of consumer protection.
0: Yeah, and I because I know at the state level, and this is something that Renew Missouri doesn't usually deal with, but when I was, when I worked at the Office of Public Counsel, there was, there is an affiliate transaction rule. And it's largely there to make sure that utilities aren't hiding costs or hiding expenses in order to try to like, you know, justify certain rates and certain practices. So they, they're, they're prohibited from doing certain things. They're, they're prohibited from letting their affiliates do certain things. Um, it's all very tricky but it's uh, there's a lot of accounting involved with this which doesn't really strike people as enormously exciting when they think of environmental activism <laughs> most most people think like they're going to be like you know fighting these big crusades and they end up like getting involved with like um, generally accepted accounting practices um, which you know is really important now with um, with this yeah kind of so kind of, in, when did you get in, when did EDF, are they a party to this? Do they have to represent somebody? What is the rule for allowing a group like yours to intervene at the federal level?
1: Sure. So, so Spire filed its case in January of 2017 and EDF intervened in, in the case after that. And, you know, we, we explained that our members' interests would be impacted and we, you know, established that we had an interest in the case and, and FERC. Granted our our intervention, wow. um, you know, once the the once FERC approved the, the project in 2018, we then um, took the case to the D.C. Circuit and and um, you know brought the case before that forum and established standing by um, you know relying on our our members whose land had been taken by the pipeline.
0: Hmm. So you did it wasn't just a matter of that you represent an interest different from the public so there had to be like kind of an actionable effort you you were representing these members who might have been affected directly by this by this issue.
1: Right, we don't we don't represent those um, members in an individual capacity but you know the the members collectively establish EDF's interest to get get involved in the case.
0: Okay. So when it got, so it went to the circuit, I mean, so was that over, I mean, was that over the the approval of the construction?
1: Yeah. So, so we were, we're challenging really all facets of the approval. So the, the market need question, we were saying, you can't just say market need is satisfied when there's a single affiliate contract and that contract is being paid for by captive customers. And then we also said that FERC did not engage in what's supposed to be a rigorous balancing analysis. FERC did, you know, just a rubber stamp job of that. And we were challenging that aspect of the
0: case as well. I see. Yeah. And so you mentioned that there are other parties who are opposed to this. So it wasn't just your group. You mentioned the Missouri Public Service Commission, which is one thing we haven't really talked about on this podcast is the Public Service Commission routinely, or I don't know if routinely, but they do get involved with federal level issues involving the utilities here. Um, and the, you said that the Pu- Missouri Public Service Commission opposed SPIRE's application here. Do you? Can you? I know you're not speaking on their behalf. But can you speak to a little bit about what their opposition was?
1: Sure. So, when the, the application was first filed, they raised concerns about the um, affiliate relationship and the fact that there were other prior projects that were proposed but rejected by then LaCleave, now SPIRE, Missouri based on operational and economic considerations and so they were really concerned about the, the health of the infrastructure in St. Louis and the, the concern you know over building a system that, that ultimately is, is not needed. Um, they, they did not pursue those claims uh, on appeal but they did raise them before FERC in the initial proceeding.
0: And yeah okay and so when it did get appealed I mean what I mean this is I mean as we're sitting here you just mentioned a timeline that starts almost five years ago. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can, can you give a summary of like kind of what has, I mean, because it's obviously has kind of accelerated, Spire has kind of accelerated their uh, drawing attention to this only recently. I mean, so kind of like what what's happened that's like led us to where we are now where we're getting these newspaper articles about decisions here and about emails being sent out to customers. I mean, like what's kind of been, what's kind of been the precursor to this, if you can summarize that. Sure, sure.
1: So so like I said, we brought the case to the D.C. Circuit and we said that FERC really needed to look at this um, application carefully and did not. And the D.C. Circuit agreed with us. They said they found serious deficiencies in FERC's orders. They they said that there was record evidence of self-dealing between the affiliates and they found that the balancing test that's supposed to be rigorous um, was completely ineffective in this case. And so then it comes time to to determine the appropriate relief. And what the DC circuit said is that the decision needed to be vacated Mm. and then sent back to FERC. And and so the, the practical impact of that vacature is that Spire would not have a certificate to operate. And so, you know, Spire obviously challenged and sought rehearing before the DC circuit, but then also filed at FERC for a temporary certificate because Mm -hmm. it did not want any lapse in service. And so now there's a whole nother proceeding that was unfolding at FERC regarding this temporary certificate. And so SPIRE was waiting on FERC to to act on that temporary certificate. FERC acted su sponte, which means on its own initiative and granted SPIRE authority to operate through December 13th. And then said, we're taking the time we need to you know review all of the pleadings and then make a determination on on the certificate. And so in that interim when Spire did not have that order from FERC allowing it to operate through the winter, it sent its customers an email on November 4th, you know, t- telling them to to prepare for gas shortages this this winter. Yeah. And so that was really the the setup and and the reason behind that that November 4th email
0: yeah so during all this period you have the challenging the certification you're challenging the temporary certification what is spire doing with this with this project they're building it so so the project was started
1: um construction in 2019 and was built and has been operating now this is a. Uh, a product of the rules that were in place at the time, so they mm. since have changed. So you know, FERC is revisiting the way that you know parties are able to to go to court and and challenge these these projects in a more timely manner. At the time, we had to wait until FERC you know issued its rehearing order, which took a year, and in that time, Spire built the project and operated, and so. You know that it was just a, a product of the rules of the road at that time, and and so you know it it has been operating since that 2019 period, and right. and EDF did not um, you know we we said look you know if if there is a a, a need if for to meet reliability for for the winter um, you know the pipeline should be allowed to operate we we were not we we, we made very clear that you know, serving St. Louis customers, you know, during during the winter is very important. And if Spire's is making the case that the pipeline is needed, like we we were never opposing that aspect.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, but I think what what I think what I want to make sure is clear to the to the audience listening is even though they they're building this, they built it, they still don't have like this wow approved by regulators at the federal level? I mean, they're kind of doing this knowing that it, I mean, are they doing this kind of knowing there's a risk that they won't get approval for this and that's still being built?
1: So so FERC did approve the project in, in 2018. And then, you know, okay. since, that, since that time and since EDF filed its legal challenge in, in January of 2020, Spire was well aware that this, there was a pending appeal on the project. And, you know, right. the other piece to this is at the time FERC approved it, it was a, a narrow majority. And there were two dissenting commissioners who raised serious concerns about the project. Um, then Commissioner Glick, now chairman, called it a $287 million project to enrich Spire shareholders. And so at that time, Spire had that information that you know t- two commissioners thought that this project should never have been approved. And yeah. they, they moved they move forward with the, the construction in, in light of the pending appeal
0: right so i mean that the process was going on they proceeded anyway knowing that there could have been some ad, adverse decision to them uh, having built this and being able to use it because it's not just a matter of it being built it's also a matter of can they use it after it's built to transport gas from one place to another because that there's those are two separate things too right
1: right yeah the certificate will, you know allows them to construct and then and then operate it but but right i mean that That appeal was 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 pending, and Inspire moved forward.
0: Right, and so it's built. um, This is going on. I mean, FERC ultimately says, you know, this is this. You did not meet the standards. You did not meet the um, you know what you needed to do under the law here. Um, So they appealed it. They appealed that decision. Correct.
1: So, so FERC said, yes, uh, Spire, you may go forward. EDF said that review was not did not meet the requirements of the Natural Gas Act. We appealed it. The D.C. Circuit said, FERC, you didn't do its job. Go back and do your job.
0: OK, so it got remanded back to them.
1: So, yeah, now, now the issue is, is before FERC and FERC has to go back and it has to do its rigorous evaluation under the law.
0: Right. So it's so we're far from being done for FERC to have said whether or not SPIRE has satisfied its obligations in the law with its pipeline.
1: Right. So FERC acted just this past Friday to allow SPIRE to, um, you know, have this temporary certificate. So in this interim time, until it can make that long term decision on on remand, it has granted SPIRE the authority to operate its pipeline in this interim
0: period. In this interim period. So, okay. Man, do you have do you have like a, a whiteboard where you have to like mark down all of this process? Because this is uh this is tricky.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of steps. It also went up to the Supreme Court,
0: which we haven't even covered. So Oh, is that pending now or is that is that happened?
1: So so one of the steps has happened. Um, Spire filed for an emergency application to stay the, the mandate of the DC circuit decision, and, and that request was denied. Spire renewed that request, um, but ultimately withdrew it because, like I said, FERC acted and, um, then, and, and, and then Spire filed on last Friday for um, filed a cert petition to, to ask the court to look at the DC circuits analysis of remedy.
0: Okay, so the, so there is, even as we speak, multiple the kind of issues going on about this at different levels and in courts and at the regulatory level. And, yes right. Sort of <laughs> right, you
1: have the Supreme Court, which is an- analyzing the, the remedy issue. You have FERC, which has to engage in the remand proceeding. Then you have the Missouri Commission that's analyzing the prudence of the contract, which we haven't <laughs> also covered yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, which... I, yeah, because I was gonna, because I was gonna, because I want to make sure. Okay, okay, Philip, how are you doing? Are you you following this along? You got a you got a diagram. You good? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you have any? I mean, like, we're Natalie and I are both lawyers. I'm confused. What questions do you have as like a as a as a just a regular policy guy? Do you have you thought of anything that you want? If I missed here? Oh, um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, thanks for your help. Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, so so we we'll see. So basically where we are, and I want to make sure that I've got this clear because we've been talking a lot of procedural here. The the pipeline is there. They spire is able to use it for the time being, but there is still going to be an open question of whether they can continue using it and transporting gas on it that's going to be finalized when FERC makes a decision about their application. But then, of course, there could be a pellet processes that go on after that. Am I, am I close?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we want to just boil this down to the the most essential piece, it's about, you know, the case is about how we evaluate the need for new infrastructure and mm-hmm. how we weigh the costs and benefits and are the rules of the road clear and are those rules being enforced? I mean, that's, that's, you know, at every, really at every level like that, that's what it's about. We, we need to make transparent decisions. We need to make decisions uh, so the public understands them and, and that they're fair and that they weigh all interests. And, and really that's that's the heart of the case.
0: Okay. And I know there's a lot of market considerations here. There's a lot of questions about whether this uh, pipeline is needed, but you know you all are the environmental defense fund. I mean, and I, I think you know our audience probably is familiar with general environmental concerns about uh, gas pipelines. Is there anything specific to this pipeline that causes you concerns or is it just more along the lines of that you have concerns about how gas utilities build these, operate them, maintain them, et cetera? Is there anything specific you're concerned with?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's what I I just articulated, which is just, you know, how we make decisions around gas infrastructure. And and that's going to be a really important question as we engage in this energy transition. And, And so this case is about just you know, what, what is the need? How, how do we assess that before we authorize $300 million projects that allow the taking of private property? What are the alternatives that we looked at? Have right. we those alternatives? What are the costs? What are, you know, what, what are what's happening on these other pipelines? And, you know, without doing any of that homework and just forging ahead with one solution because it happens to benefit the shareholders of a company is really problematic. And, and so the, the case is about making sure that we you know rigorously re- review this need.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you know you're talking about this you know this price tag to this. Um, you know, one, you know FERC is trying to decide whether this is something that's 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 relevant that's that's needed. But the, the state is going to ultimately decide. the state public service commission is going to have to ultimately decide if ratepayers pay for this pipeline and they haven't done that yet have they
1: yeah so so there's you know one of these complicated state commission proceedings called the the PGA purchase gas adjustment and you know um, usually these are pretty sleepy dockets where the utility can just go ahead and you know pass through the costs of transportation and and the commodity of the of the gas through to to ratepayers this um particular contract is you know, at issue in this pending proceeding. And there are a lot of other parties, the Office of, of People's Counsel is, is involved as well as some other right. um, con, consumer groups. And, you know, EDF is also there saying to the State Commission, you know, p- please take a, a really rigorous review of this. You know, you had mentioned at the beginning that Missouri has its affiliate statute. And so, you know, what, what is the analysis under that affiliate statute? In this docket, and and so we're we're asking for that that review to take place, and and staff is doing that analysis
0: as we speak. And I think you know you mentioned this uh, phrase; it's an important standard that we use at the state level, which is prudency. Is this a prudent expenditure? Is this, are these expenses prudent, and should they be uh, uh, assumed by the ratepayer? Um, because I think a lot of people hear us talk about rate cases; they see rate cases being discussed in the. Um, newspaper and the media spire just got done with one where a rate increase was approved um but i mean ultimately what they maybe don't know is there's a lot of procedures at the state level that have been authorized by the missouri legislature your missouri legislature the legislature saying they're watching out for the people that allow uh utility companies to seek increases to your rate outside of rate cases and the uh and gas utilities get a lot of those um And so and then ultimately, they kind of get put into these right cases where they kind of get trued up and they kind of get, uh, you know, put into the regular paperwork that, you know, kind of composes a bill, a utility bill. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, which is which comes down to it comes down to me. I mean, like right now, from from your vantage point, from what you assess, are our Missouri ratepayers already paying for this or is that still yet to be decided?
1: So you know, I I think you're right. There's all these different true-up periods, and you'd have to look at the the period that has has gone into effect. I I mean, I think the the costs, the 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 pipeline is operational service has been taken. So my understanding is that some of this has been in rates. The 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 period that the staff is looking at, you know, is subject to the to to refunds. So the event that you know this was. Was not a prudent decision. There's a mechanism to return that that money to customers.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, so then there was a process for that. But one thing I've I've learned in filing complaint cases is, boy, they're really hard <laughs> at the state level to prove. Which yeah, kind of gets me to this email that they that Spire sent to its customers on. I think you said November 4th. I I knew it was pretty recently. I mean, in your experience, is that a typical response to? I mean, you all get involved and engaged with a lot of. Um, Utilities—they don't like people like us being involved with these cases. I know that. Have you? Did you? Do you find they use um, emails to their their customers try to like make their case to put public pressure on these regulators? Do do you find that to be a a common tactic, or is this unusual from your experience?
1: I've I've never seen anything like this before. Really? Yeah, I've never I've never been involved in a case with with an email like that
0: because it was pretty incendiary
1: it was incendiary and it resulted in attacks on on edf attacks on me personally it it was very incendiary
0: i mean i'm trying to i guess is there anything about this i mean is it is it the utility is it the case that you think prompted this is it just out of desperation because they think they're going to lose this i mean what do you think i mean i know you can't speak for them but i mean what's your what's your view of like why such a why such a kind of an un, unprecedented communication was sent?
1: I think it was the um the uncertainty that Spire felt around the you know the lack of, of a FERC order. So, mm-hmm. you know, FERC, FERC had said that it was, you know, allowing them to operate through December 13th, and, and then Spire was waiting for that that extension. And so it was that uncertainty of, of not having that that I think caused caused them to to send that email. The, the, the problem was, you know, that there was no indication in the email that there was an ongoing agency process to, to resolve this. Right. Um, and, and you know, after the email, there was a FERC open meeting where all the commissioners participating said, we have every intention to act. You know, it's not like they were forgetting about the case. <laughs> they they were poised, poised to act and, and ready to act and they they you know made that that clear at the meeting. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I think it, it was it was probably born of of that uncertainty, but there were some really misleading and, and harmful um, phrases in that email that had some really real world consequences for for Spire customers.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I because I, I think you know because I know at the state level. You know, when you are looking at how right, you know, an ROE is calculated, they often look at the behavior and the activities of the utility to see, are they acting in the interest of their customers? Are they acting as good corporate, um, you know, neighbors? Is there, is, I mean, because and I know that the PSC has sort of chastised, the state PSC is sort of chastised spire for this email. Is there a consequence they could face for sending that email? Or is it just, I mean, is there any way to address that?
1: So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. So the the Missouri PSC has directed staff to in- investigate whether a complaint is warranted against Spire for false and misleading, um, you know, words in that email, also for failure to secure sufficient gas supplies for the winter. And so right. you know, that that's a really important piece to this too. The the gas utility has an obligation to plan in a way that meets the needs of its its customers. So I, I think you know Spire has. Now, the Missouri staff looking into this. I also think, you know, at, at a time where we're managing through a, a global pandemic and, and people are struggling, and there's a rate increase on top of that, to get this kind of communication from your gas utilities is, is really troubling and problematic. So, there's the, just the consequence for customers as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we hear a lot of talk about, um, gas, you know, energy prices are going to go up, Every everything's going to go up, we've got inflation going on. And I mean, you know, and I, I have to think that some of it has to do with you know, the fact that, you know, when we hear in prices going up and we're not really thinking, we're thinking about like these market forces as though they're, they're like the, the, the weather, <laughs> but there's parties that have some control over that over market forces and you know and if if again if spire is saying like well this pipeline that hasn't really been approved because we're still going through the appellate process and we're still going through this process and we built it anyway and we're saying that oh we need to have this but no one has really formally blessed them to have it so yeah shouldn't they have i mean this this shouldn't be something that's a dire situation for them or their customers right
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like FERC gave them their initial approval and then the DC circuit struck that down. So I I think like they, and and then FERC stepped in. So there's, you know, they're, they're legally operating the the pipeline as we speak. I don't want to leave the the impression that that's- Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I do think that this, this whole case really underscores the need for FERC to improve and, you know, the way that it considers these applications, you know, even the, the, you know, the chairman acknowledged that in 2018, when FERC was presented with this application, it had this obligation and duty to really look carefully at it and it failed to do that. And so we could eliminate this entire mess had, had FERC in the first instance, looked at all of these different factors and weighed them in a way that was really rigorous. And, and so what we want to see going forward is that to change you know, these are these, you know, massive new infrastructure projects that have consequences for people. Yeah. Um, the land that is taken, the rates that people have to pay when they're already struggling. And, and so, you know, we need our our, our federal agency to, to really look carefully here. And I think you know, the Missouri Commission to, to do the same in, in its role in evaluating Spire Missouri's costs.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, I mean, I know you were talking about this being something that kind of initiated in, in early 2017. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think maybe people don't think about is like, I mean, do you think there's any kind of political, I mean, you know, the, these are political appointees, uh, you know, this is a congressional thing, this is a presidential thing. I mean, is there a certain idea that some politicians, some parties don't want rigorous regulation of these kind of projects?
1: Well, I think there's, interest here, right? You know, pipeline developers want, want regulatory certainty and you know a glide path to get their infrastructure built. I think, you know, public interest groups and, and customers want to make sure that we we have those those guardrail guardrails in place, particularly when the the whole premise of the pipeline is built on an affiliate transaction. Um, but I you know, I think there there can be this this middle path where we we get the rules right in advance. They're clear to everyone, and everyone knows the the rules of the game and, and can engage. It's it's not where you know. I don't think this is an impossible problem to solve. There's there's a path forward, so everyone knows uh, what what's to be expected.
0: Oh, uh, I I have a a a, a uh, question coming in from the producer. <laughs> I mean you. And I and I and I know that we just saw a pre-filing start at the Missouri Legislature, and I was actually thinking about this. Um, I mean, do you think that they're going to try to seek some sort of legislative remedy to this? Do you think that this is so controversial that um, SPIRE could seek to change like how FERC looks at this, or have you give Have you seen any indication of that?
1: So you know, again, the it, this would require some kind of federal legislative change for for SPIRE to alter the way that that FERC. Um, can, can review this, you know, what I would say is there is a, a proceeding at FERC right now where it's looking at h- how it reviews gas infrastructure, it's an open proceeding, and it's thinking about, um, okay, what updates do we need? We last looked at this in 1999, a lot of things have changed, and, and so I think that is an opportunity to kind of guide and shape what, what should be done going forward and inspires free to offer its I- ideas in that, that forum. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: so they're not really at that point where i mean they're still kind of everyone's still trying to work at this within the federal regulatory framework that's in place right now
1: that's the, the the conversation that that i've seen unfolding
0: all right and you but you do think FERC is maybe is at least since this began is moving in a better direction and being more uh fair about this process
1: I, I think that it's it's recognizing that what it's doing currently and, or what it has done in the, the last several years is not working. It's not just this case that EDF brought, it's a host of other cases before the DC circuit that have taken issue with all aspects of FERC's review, the way that it identifies environmental justice communities and considers the impacts to those communities, the way that it does its environmental assessments of climate change. There's a whole host of things that the court has said FERC, you have to do a better job with this. And so there's a lot of momentum right now to, you know, c- create change for, for the way that FERC reviews this. And it benefits everyone. Then FERC doesn't have to, you know, resolve this in, in these litigated cases. It's done its job up front.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that's good. And I'm because I know you've probably got a million other cases, not a million. I'm being figured <laughs> you have a lot of other cases that you deal with at EDF, right? Some yeah,
1: more- this is actually just one of one of many. Um <laughs> there are a lot of other things going on too.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so like if as far as like Missouri customers, as far as Spire customers go, like moving forward, I mean, what do you think that people should be mindful of? What should they be looking for? I mean, what I mean, if you were to like have any parting thoughts to, you know, Missouri customers, what would that be?
1: I think it would be, you know, to demand transparency and accountability from the gas utility. So, you know, you look at your bill and there's a line item that says natural gas cost and embedded within that line item is the cost of transportation to get that gas to your home. And I would want to understand what kind of decisions were, were made to evaluate the, the costs of, of getting that to, to my home and make sure that there was a fulsome, you know, look at alternatives. And I would, yeah. I would want the Missouri commission to make sure that there's a spotlight shined on these, these rules and that they're clear and transparent because a lot of the decisions are made behind closed doors and that's you know simply unfair to customers.
0: And I think it's the way a lot of people would prefer it still to be done or at least people that are you know, involved. I, I certainly know the more people that intervene in these cases, the crankier some of these utilities get. I can certainly attest to that, <laughs> um, it, but yeah, so I mean, and I guess, you know, um, as much as I hate to do this uh, because I'm trying to get people to give me money uh, at Renew Missouri, but I mean, if people want to support your work, how could they do it?
1: Yeah, so I, I would, you know, EDF encourages people to sign up to be members, right? You can, you can be a member and, um, you know, receive updates and learn more, more about our work.
0: And where would you have a obviously hey, can you just type in environmental defense fund or EDF and you'll find all that information?
1: Yeah, it'll 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 pop up and it's it's very easy to to sign up and we we greatly value our, our memberships and hearing from, from everyone.
0: Well, Natalie, I could probably do 10 other podcasts about this, and I think I've already kept you over 10 minutes over what I promised.
1: Okay, next time I'll bring a whiteboard and draw oh, yeah. some.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i mean like i mean people i think people really underestimate how complicated this is and i think most importantly what i think we've, we've tried to emphasize today is the environmental concerns and the consumer protection concerns are often one and i mean often one and the same i think people see those as like competing but i think that uh oftentimes you find that people working on these on this side of it are also very much interested in making sure that consumers are protected as, as well because it seems like that's a big focus of what you're doing here
1: yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's broadly under the frame of, of public interest, right? And so it's it's economic and environmental costs. And yeah, I, I agree there's a lot of overlap there.
0: Right. Well, Natalie, thank you. Uh yeah, we'll get that we'll we'll have you back on. I'd like to get some more updates on this and we'll bring that white uh white chalk, that whiteboard <laughs> on. And I'll I'll be back here like uh, Charlie Day and it's always sunny in Philadelphia trying to like make sense of it smoking and be like, you see, it's <laughs> over here. And, <laughs> Uh, But, but folks, I want to thank you all for, yeah, and uh, Philip thought that was very funny. Uh, I'd like to thank you all uh, for listening uh, to Renew Gurus. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, leave a review and share this on your social media posts. Um, Again, I just mentioned how much I hate trying to give other people um, attention for their year end uh, donations, but we do have, uh, you probably got in your mail, a little yellow envelope from us. Consider giving us support so we can keep working on some of these issues. Uh, This has been James Ellen, Executive Director. And until we speak again, take care of yourselves and each other.